welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. Um, I think today about 135,000 students took their, started their junior and leaving cert exams, including some of our children. Um, so we all have that stress. Um, the, I, I've been saying to my own daughter, Naomi, look, don't worry, it's only the junior cert. It doesn't matter if you pass or fail. Trying to reduce her stress levels, you know. But I was thinking if she came back to me in, in September or whatever and said, you know, I tried my best, but I failed everything. It might test my don't worry, be happy policy. <laughs> but, you know, God isn't one bit afraid of failure. Yeah. Not one bit. In fact, he, it's part of his program and he uses it. And so I want to speak tonight about God's school of failure and how failure is actually part of his ways of instructing us and dealing with us. Um, I, for anyone who was here Sunday, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, I will, I'm not ashamed to say I wept and rejoiced my way through Pastor Patrick's message about the Lord's providence. He opens doors, he closes doors. What a wonderful, wonderful understanding. It was so blessed to, to listen to that. And I kind of want to get in behind that slipstream here tonight and talk more about the the half-open door. The door that you're going through and it gets stuck and you can't get through it. You fail. And you're like, what's going on? This seems to be an open door. It doesn't need to be a closed door. And you know, that in-between place, that no-man's land of failure and being stuck, that's, as I say, that's God's special training zone. That's his training center, where he teaches us of his ways. The psalmist says his ways are so far above our ways. They're not our ways. And as far as the heavens is above the earth, so far are his ways from our ways. So we must learn them. And you know, there's a wonderful scripture in Isaiah regarding the last days that says, the mountain of the Lord's house will be exalted and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. That's the, the wonderful glory of this new covenant. He puts his life in us so that he can teach us of his ways and we can then walk in his paths, not rebel against them or go the other way, but walk in them. Hallelujah, it's wonderful. So I want to continue uh, in the life of David and I want to look, if you could turn with me please, to First Chronicles chapter 13. I'm going to look at an incident in the life of David, King David. Apart from Jesus, he is my all-time favorite Bible character. I love his humanity, his emotion, his failures, his flaws. I love his softness. I love his crying to God. I love the fact that he's the progenitor of the Messiah. He's David's son. Hallelujah. So let's just look in First Chronicles 13. This is an account of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant from um, 
where it had sat for about 60 years. So under King Saul, or sorry, before King Saul, an awful tragedy happened. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. It was taken during the battle. The Philistines took it into their land for a period of time, caused havoc down there. They sent it back on a cart and it ended up in a house in the town. It just stayed there for 60 years. Now this Ark of the Covenant, this was the center in that era of the old covenant, which was to do with physical things. It was to do with a physical land, a physical temple, physical manifestation of God. And the Ark and the tabernacle, that was the place of the presence of God and his presence with his people. Now, the ark was with the people. It was in the land, but it was in a house. It wasn't in that central place that they could all go to. So David consults, it says in the start of this chapter, he consults with the commanders. He consults with everyone around, the leaders of the, of the, of the country. And he puts forth the idea of, of restoring the ark of the covenant to the center of the worship of the nation and putting it in the city of Jerusalem, which he had captured from his enemies. And it, it receives broad agreement. Everyone, there's, there seems to be this general witness and sense that, yes, this is the right thing to do. This is what we should do at this time. And if we look down then and jump down to um, verse 7, David has assembled all of Israel, the whole country, to this place, to go up to this town, to the house where the ark was kept, in the house of these, um, this man called Abinadab. And verse 7, it says, They carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio, that's his two sons, were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kaidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his, out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark of God home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And we're just going to take a couple of verses from chapter 15, which continues the story. David comes to an understanding that the Levites should have carried the ark. So he organizes them. And if we go down to verse 12 of chapter 15, it says he, David summoned the priests and the Levites and so on and said to them, you're the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I've prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. 
So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And just jumping then to the end of that chapter, verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of horns, trumpets and cymbals and made loud music on harps and lyres. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David, David dancing and celebrating and she despised him in her heart. We'll leave it there. Maybe we could just pray briefly. Lord, we thank you for this reading of your word. We thank you for all that it speaks to us of. And we pray for help now, Holy Spirit, to just extract from it what you would want us to understand and that you'll open our ears to hear your word tonight. Give anointing and give grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So as we say, David has reached a point now in his life where God has brought about much of the promise to him that he would be king after many long weary years of on the run in the wilderness. Pastor Patrick was showing us some of that when he ended up with, he was in such despondency he went down to the Philistines. It's been a long, long weary road. And even after Saul dies, it still takes another seven, or seven to nine years for him to be crowned king of Israel. And there's a lovely moment in 2 Samuel where it says David perceived that the Lord had established him in the kingdom and had done what he'd said. And I think it's a lovely truth in that. that you know, sometimes we go through so many things that it takes a moment for us to actually see, hang on, the Lord has actually done something for me. When I look back, again, it's like we heard on Sunday, we interpret backwards. He perceived, he saw it, that the Lord had done it. And, you know, I want to say and ask us all tonight, can you, can you step back a little bit and see what the Lord has done in your life? Just take a moment. Think where you were two years ago in the middle of the pandemic. Think where you were five years ago. Were you in a different, completely different place, country, situation? Were you even saved? We sometimes don't see the wood for the trees like David. And sometimes it takes that moment to understand and let it dawn on us and perceive what God has done for us. Oh, hallelujah. We have to take these periodic moments where we just sit and say, Lord, you did it. You brought me from A to B. I didn't think you would. I despair. I don't hardly see it now, but when I look back now, I see it. Praise God. And now having reached this point, he's planning for the jewel and the crown. It's bringing the ark and the tabernacle back to 
Jerusalem, to Zion, the city that God has given to him, the city of David. And, you know, this is for God. This is for his glory and honor. There's nothing to do with David's, uh, you know, building himself up anymore. It's about putting, as they say, the representation of God's presence right back in the center of the nation. And there seems to be a clear witness right across the nation that this is the right thing to do. And it all goes pear-shaped. What? What a disaster. The whole nation is there watching. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. This is for God. This is for his glory. This is the final blessing on everything. And God lets everything down. God just pulls the rug out from it. God does. And David's reaction, it says, first of all, that he was angry. That doesn't even capture it. The original word means he was in a rage. (laughs) He was flaring up. He was in a rage because what God had done. You could almost see him shaking his fist at the heavens. How could you do this? How could you let me down like this? And the next reaction is fear. He's angry and then he's afraid. He says, I can't do this. I can't bring this ark to me. This is, this is dangerous. This is no, no man can live with this. I can't do this. So the whole thing gets put on ice. It gets shunted into the house of some poor unsuspecting person, Obadidim. And I'm not sure what he thought when he gets the, the ark being handled, handed into his sitting room. But anyway, he gets, he gets it lodged in his house nearby. They, only, they get about two miles along the road, if you just roughly, it looks like that way. But then the whole thing gets stuck. Now, I want to just begin to apply this to us. And, you know, because the Old Testament is all about, it's, we, we, we don't live, we're not about a nation anymore. We're not here thinking about the presence of God in the middle of a nation. We apply the principles to our lives as believers in the body of Christ. We take principles. And the principle here, I believe, of what David is doing, it's taking a step of faith in our lives looking to move forward in some aspect of our lives and bring the Lord into the center of that. That's what he's doing. He's bringing the Lord into the center. The Lord is there, but he wants to bring that presence of God more into the center of his life. He's taking a a positive step. And for us, that's something wonderful. This is not about doing something questionable. This is not about doing something dodgy or something that, you know, there are plenty of things we do and we fail at because they were the wrong thing to do. You know, they were the wrong move. They were, the, they were foolish. They were sinful. This was none of those. This was the right thing. And there are many things we do under the leading and direction of the Spirit of God. And they're the right thing, folks. The right thing. It could be for us, I'm just going to throw out some examples. You can interpret this for your own life. It could be simply you make that commitment to follow Christ and become a Christian. This is the right thing. You should do it, putting Christ in the center of your life. And maybe that's you. 
It could be following some leading in our lives to make a, a fairly dramatic change in our circumstances, whether that's our location, our job, our relationship. But we believe this is very positively in the will of God. This is not, we have a definite leading and witness in this. This is God's will. God is in this. And we're bringing that ark of his presence right there at the core of our lives. It could be stepping out into some ministry or work of God that could range from anything from the church here, some ministry you're involved in. Maybe you're launching some, some aspect of that that you believe the Lord is leading in. It could be something in the Christian union, in your school or college, it could, whatever it is. It could be a local prayer meeting, but something that we're stepping out in with God at the center. It could be some change in our personal lives where we, where we decide, I'm, I'm going to witness, I'm going to witness for Christ. I'm going to take an approach now. I'm putting the ark right there in my witness. God is coming into my daily work life or my prayer life. These are things that we can apply as examples. And you know what? For us, it's got stuck. The door has got stuck. Something has gone wrong. Things have gone a bit pear-shaped for us. We've hit the wall. Maybe things have even backfired for us. And we're like David, we're, first of all, we're mad. We're frustrated with God. We're saying, Lord, why? And then there's a sense of, ah, give up on this. This is a waste of time. This Christianity is what I thought it was cracked up to be. This leading I had mustn't have been the leading of the Lord at all. This ministry, it's, ah, oh, forget about it. I must have misinterpreted something. Well, just a couple of points on this before we get into the, the kind of actions that happened. Firstly, the Lord is never hostage to our plans, ever, ever, ever. Even when the plans are right, the intentions are good, the heart is right, and the leading is there, he's still not hostage to us. And we have to humble ourselves and understand that. This was not an impulse or a wrong move. And we can have many things in our lives that are not wrong moves, not wrong impulse. But the Lord is still not hostage. Because we can have major blind spots when it comes to the Lord's ways. And most of the time, that's the purpose of the church. It's there to cover us. We're there to give each other cover for our blind spots. But there are times in our experience when the only way to learn his ways is through falling flat on our face in the school of failure. It's the only way. And I want to just help us not be discouraged tonight. And the Lord doesn't spare our feelings. <laughs> He's a tough but loving father. So, what happened? What happened, David? What's the revision plan for God's school of failure for our repeat exam? Well, we've, I have four items on the revision plan. Very quickly walk through them. Get over, get down, get into, and get ready. We'll very quickly run through these. Get over, firstly. Well, David had to get over himself, and we have to get over 
ourselves. That's the first step in God's failure education. Our burning anger with God, or it can be with men, which can be a disguise for our anger with God. Our unhealthy fear, both of these we have to get over. Our sulking, we have to get over. And you know, there are multitudes, fortunately, of Christians living in a state of suppressed anger with God because things didn't work out like we thought. The door got stuck. Or living in some kind of slavish fear. I can't do it. I just can't do this. This is not possible. How many start out on the road and get disillusioned? How many look to get involved in the things of God and say, no, step back? Folks, we have to get past ourselves. David had to. But the Lord helped him. And the Lord will help us. And here's how he helps us. Something happened over that three months of anger and frustration and wondering what on earth is going on. And if you're watching out, this will happen for you as well. Something happened and David got news from this family of Obadidim. He heard that the Lord had blessed their household. Now, I, I love to think, what, what, what could have happened in three months that made its way up as news to the king? I can imagine maybe in that day, was it something like they, someone in the household got pregnant after years of not being able to? Did they have an absolutely insane bumper harvest? Was it harvest season? Did some, did just everything line up for them? What happened? Something extraordinary must have happened in that house. That it was noted that in that three month period, the Lord blessed that household. And this was the warm breeze that crept into David's understanding. It's the warm breeze of love. This was not some clinical, just, here, David, this is what you did wrong. This is not how God deals with his children. He takes us in his arms. And he says, yes, you failed. You, I'm going to show you what you failed in. But first of all, I'm going to put my arms around you and let you know that the ark of my presence is not to be feared. It brings blessing. It brings so much blessing into a life. Oh, hallelujah. It's like back when we used to be disciplined as children. If you remember <laughs> when I used to get disciplined by my mother, after the discipline, she'd pick you up and put you on her lap and hug you and that kind of took away the pain. <laughs> kind of. But the Lord, he takes us up in our crying and in our rage and he comforts us. Blessing came to the house. David had to know God was not against him. God didn't want him to just give up on it. God wasn't trying to stop this happening. 
And oh, those three months of misperception changed, changed, turned around completely. No, this, this, is a, this is a source of blessing the presence of God. This Christian life that you're suddenly getting disillusioned with a few months in, it's the most blessed existence you could ever have. And we have to begin to feel that breeze of love to unfurl us from our anger and our bitterness and our cynicism that can creep in and it can infect a whole life. And I would, I would just counsel us, each one, never let that get hold of us. Or never let it get hold of us for long. Get over. Secondly then, get down. Get down where? Get down at the feet of Jesus and listen. That's next. David, having felt and absorbed that love of God and that understanding, no, this is, this is the right thing. This is good. Now comes instruction. And God's instruction is not some cold, hard, dry thing. It's carried on the breeze of love. Always. And the, the answer, the direction for all of our failure and our misstep and our falling fat, it's always there in the word of God. We didn't have to get some magic, prophetic understanding to come. It was there in the scripture for them. Yeah. <laughs> and it always is. And David came into a new understanding. It was in the word of God. He just didn't get it. But he came into it. Oh, this needs the Levites. These disappointments, these false starts we have, these failures, they are actually, I don't think there was any way around this, by the way. They're intended to be teaching moments for us. To open our understanding, like David here, to bring us into a whole new view of God and of his ways. His purposes, how he does things. But we have to get down and humble ourselves and allow him to teach us. It became clear to David there was nothing wrong with his goal. There was nothing wrong with his purpose. It was God's plan, but it wasn't God's way. That was the problem. He said, we sought him not, King James puts it, after the due order. Our ways were out of order with God. The, the goal was right, the purpose was right, but our ways were out of order. And folks, we have to learn this. Even in the new covenant, our ways, we have to learn his ways. Sometimes we can go ahead of God in execution of things. We don't wait for his counsel. We lean on our own understanding. How often we stumble into things, don't we? We just stumble into them. They're the right thing, but we stumble into them. We're not intentional. They can be good ideas. Maybe they were thinking back that, well, you know, the last time this ark got moved, it was on a cart. The Philistines sent it to us on a cart, and sure, that worked out. So let's us do it on a cart. You know, and we can use our reasoning and our good ideas. But good ideas are not God's ways. The best of our ideas are not God's ways. They must come from here. And David had to stop his own ideas and find out, well, what's God's way of doing this? And God's way was these Levites. 
And we don't, unfortunately, we generally only learn by screwing up. But let's not be afraid of it. We have to learn that our Christianity, different, it's different to business and everything in the world. It's not do-it-yourself. It's not DIY. The ark was put on a cart with some guy. That's what it was, just a cart with a, with, with a guy. And it was all on him. If the oxen stumbled as they did, if the cart went to tip, it was all resting on this, this chap. And he put out his hand to stop it. He had to catch it to stop it tipping over. And you know, so often that's our approach in the things of God. It's DIY and it's all on me. It's a DIY thing. It's me and the cart. And I'm carrying it and I'm going along. And if anything happens, I've got to protect it. And the strain of it. Even with the best intentions, we can fall into DIY Christianity. I come under the most terrible strain. We're driving the cart. We're stabilizing the ark. We're doing everything. We cannot do it ourselves. And it's one of the first lessons we've got to learn coming out on the road as a Christian. That to do it ourselves brings death. In this case, it brought the death of a man in that era. For us, it brings spiritual death. Doing it ourselves. It'll go along. We'll get a few miles with it. But it will collapse. And he had to learn that everyone... They had to stop this DIY thing. They had to stop this good idea, Christianity. They had to stop this all hanging on the one guy driving the cart. And they had to get into, this is our third point, get into position. They were not just to give up, but they were all to get into the right position. Now, what was the right position? For David, David's here at the front with the, with the cart and everything. David had to get in behind a huge crowd of Levites and priests. If you read it, there's about a, over a thousand of them. This massive crowd. They're the ones who've got to pick up the ark on their shoulders. And David has to get in behind them. And the sons of Abinadab have to get in behind them. And everyone has to get in behind them. And you know, these priests and Levites, these are a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who carries it all on his shoulders. He's the one who's made the atonement. He goes in before us to the Father. He brings his own precious blood in. He's done it all. He still does it all. And our position is in behind him. And it must be him at the front, carrying the burden of this church, of your life of what God wants to do in this church and in your life. It must rest on his shoulders. We say that in theory, but the reality, we must hand over the Ark of the Covenant to him. In the gospel, positioning is everything. Positioning. And our positioning can be all wrong. We're driving things along. 
we're too much to the fore, we're too self-conscious. As I say, David had to disappear into that crowd. He had to transfer the burden onto those men because you know what? The burden, like with Uzzah, the burden will kill us. It will. It will. How many pastors and others have burnt out, gone off the rails, abandoned? Why? Because the burden more than likely was on them. And even, never mind pastors, in your life, in my life, the burden of doing God's work, of fulfilling his will, no man can carry it. Who is sufficient for these things, the apostle writes? It's on him. It's on him. And we take up our position. That's what we're to do. Everyone was in position to do exactly what they were supposed to do. It was a wonderful procession now of order and grace. Everyone was in position. Everyone was out of position before. The Levites were dispersed where they shouldn't have been. David is where he shouldn't have been. Now everyone is in position. Part of that position, it's in the body. We take our position in the body, in a family. We, we are not solo runners. Our position is in the body. We're to get into position. What's your position? Are you in it? Or are you jockeying for position? Or are you out of position? Get in position. That's the, that's the lesson that they had to learn. Finally then, get ready. After failure, when God teaches us, teaches us, his ways, we can get ready for joy. Oh, hallelujah. Joy, when God takes it up, takes our failure, joy will come. Joy will come. This must be one of the most amazing scenes of joy in the whole scripture. It must be amazing. I remember Pastor Hamp mentioning it, that the Hebrew here, it implies that David was doing cartwheels. His joy was so intense. This is a man who was enraged, who was frustrated, who was afraid. And it is the most extraordinary scene of joy. He's leaping and he's dancing and he's whirling before the Lord. Joy. A walk in sync and in step with the heart of God in position is the most joyful place even in the midst of whatever trouble. Oh, it's joyful. It's joyful. By contrast, then, we see that this um, wife of David's is kind of the opposite. You know, she is a miserable character. So she, <laughs> she looks out the window and she says she despises him. In her heart, she despises him. And she says to him, she scorns him. You can nearly feel it dripping off the page. She said, came out to her husband and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She absolutely scorns him for his shameless joy. 
Oh, you know, don't ever fall into the Mikal misery trap. Oh, it's, it's terrible. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and rules and regulations of what you can do, what you can't do. It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're a people of joy, folks. When we're in the right position, when we're getting in behind Christ, when we're transferring the burden to him, when we're following the leading and doing it his way, it's the most joyful experience. Oh, please don't, don't let us become just a respectable person like Michal. She was respectable. She was the king's wife. But she's a warning to us. There is few people in the planet more miserable than a Christian cynic. <laughs> a fence sitter. Could be a Michael or a Michal, it doesn't either either gender. She's a king's daughter, daughter of Saul. She's a king's wife. She's got it all going. She's respectable. She's wealthy. She's all her eyes dotted and her T's crossed. She knows the dangers of using the wrong Bible translation. She knows why you shouldn't sing Hillsong music. Or the dangers of too much emphasis on grace. Or what happens when you let young people have too much say? Are all the things going wrong in society and in the church? She's well on top of all these things. But she's dried up and barren inside. And she despises the joy and liberty of the Holy Spirit. Let this be a warning to us. Let it, oh, just never let our hearts fall into that miserable place. It's a miserable place, proper, keeping everything supposedly right. But no, it says she, was, she had no child to the day of her death. She was barren, dried up. In fact, for us, you know, we need to loosen up and ask the Holy Spirit to liberate us and let that joy of the Lord fill our lives fill our lives I love just to conclude then what David said he gives her a wonderful answer he says to her it was before the Lord hallelujah it was before the Lord it wasn't before you Michal or before the other people it was before the Lord who chose me to appoint me as prince over Israel the people of the Lord and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you've spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. Oh, let that be our determination and testimony in our lives. Everything is for us is before God, who's chosen us, who's saved us. I'll be yet more base and more, more humble and more down low. Let me be. Because he's saved me. He's chosen me. He's put my life on the rock. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Oh, let us never fall into the trap. of Just getting everything, all our boxes ticked and having no joy. Praise God.
Praise God. Failure, failure is God's training ground to joy. So if you're feeling a failure, if you're feeling you've, you've, there's this door and you can't get it open and you're, you don't know what's going on, that you're, this Christianity business, oh, I encourage you. Failure. Failure is not like failure in the world. Failure in the things of God is his ground of training for you to come forth into a new revelation of himself, of his ways to teach you of his ways and to bring you into a joy such as you've never had before. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.